You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in, I'm, I'm in Christ. Most of the brothers who have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Uh, These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed to the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I, I long to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am prepared, since I'm persuaded. I didn't think that said prepared. I got to get my eyes focused here, man. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us, Lord. And we ask that you would use your word in your, our lives this morning. Lord, as, uh, as we've sang, as we've lamented, Lord, we still pray for all, uh, yeah, all the crisis and all the issues that are going on within our city and within our nation. Lord, give us hearts that line up with yours. Help us to lament and weep at those who weep, God. And Lord, may we pray fervently that your kingdom would come. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. May be seated. So here's what I, I, I want to do this morning. Um, I know there's all kinds of stuff that's going on in our nation, all kinds of stuff that's going on uh, within our city. And uh, today we've taken a little bit of time to celebrate uh, some graduates. So in the midst of all that's, that's happening within our city and culture, and on top of that, we're still in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, so to speak. There's a, a, a group of people um, who have graduated from high school. They're the, the class of 2020. And so, um, 
Yeah, I just want to spend some time uh, speaking directly to them. I think what we're going to talk about this morning not only applies to them specifically, but I do think it applies to every one of us. But I do want to take some time to speak uh, to this group of graduates that we have. I think if I remember correctly, we've got four that we're honoring, maybe five. I may be uh, misquoting here. We record these a little earlier, so I haven't got a chance to see the whole video. So uh, give me a, a little grace if I miss the numbers here. One of the things that's been surprising to me as I've um, taken over and been a lead pastor here for almost 10 years, I spent 20 years in student ministry, and I thought, you know, as I stepped into this lead pastor role that it would be somewhat easy for me to kind of like speak into the students that are within our, you know, congregation, our middle school and high school students week in and week out. And interesting enough and ironically enough, it's been really hard for me, and I, and I, I feel bad, and I just want to acknowledge that I want to do a better job of, of including our middle school and high school students uh, in what I talk about, what we speak about, so they don't feel like they're uh, kind of sitting and watching from afar. And I think one of the reasons why this has been uh, sort of difficult for me a little bit is because I've got kids in this age range. I got a 21-year-old, I've got an 18-year-old, I got a 14-year-old, and I have an 11-year-old. And I'm, I'm always um, kind of uber-sensitive um, that I don't want to ever feel like dad's speaking from here and indirectly addressing an issue that's going on in their lives. And so sort of my response to that is that I've, I've kind of stepped back from kind of speaking into this this population, middle school and high schoolers. And so this morning, um, as, a, as a dad of a senior who went through some graduation ceremony this past Tuesday, and as a pastor here of a, a growing group of middle school and high school students, I just, I just want to spend some time speaking uh, to them. And what I'm about to say here is exactly what I would share with my boys, and I have shared this, and by God's grace, tried to live this out. Um, and in fact, this morning, this is the prayer that I prayed for each one of my boys, because in this passage of Scripture, uh, Paul, in, in, in such a beautiful way, sums up in one phrase the whole of his life. And so my desire this morning is I, I want to give all of us, specifically high school graduating seniors here, an aim for living that will not disappoint. I want to give you an aim that you can um, direct your life and move your life toward that will not disappoint. And so, you know, in, in good fashion, in letters that, that Paul writes, as we saw last week, he, he spends a little time thanking them and praying for them. And then in verse 12, uh, we see him sort of shifting here and giving sort of an update on what's going on in his life. It's, it's almost like he's kind of giving a report on his experiences and, and helping us see like, you know, it's been 10, year, 10 years since he's planted this church and uh, the church in Philippi know that, that Paul is in prison and they're kind of concerned for him. They're worried about him. You know, he has a responsibility to take care of his own physical needs. That's why they sent money to him through Epaphroditus. And so Paul in this letter is just kind of giving a report and helping them see what's going on in his life here because their assumption is because he's in prison, then obviously the advancement of the gospel has stopped. You know, here's, here's Paul, you know, before he got in prison going from city to city and 
you know, roaming around the, the you know, first century world and planting all these churches. And now he's in prison. He's sort of quarantined and, you know, solitary space, so to speak. And your assumption would be then, therefore, the gospel is not advancing anymore because Paul's not free to roam. And, and what we saw in these verses is Paul is saying, no, actually, it's, it's act, actually worked out better than I could have imagined. Uh, in fact, my imprisonment is has led to the advancement of the gospel. Every one of these guards that get changed to me, they're finding out the reason why I'm in chains and the reason why I'm in prison is because of my hope in Jesus Christ. And that that is spreading throughout the entire prison. And not only am I having an opportunity to speak about this while in prison, the brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Rome in this church, they're also being encouraged to boldly proclaim and speak the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because of what's going on while I'm in prison. And then he also talks about realizing that, hey, I realize that some of these people are, are preaching Christ out of some kind of selfish ambition, you know, trying to do a dig at me, criticize me a little bit. And I realize other people are preaching Christ out of a purity of heart. And I just love his response to that, that he says in verse 18, where he says, you know, what does it matter? You know what? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. So he's not you know, there's other places where Paul comes and critiques people's content of the gospel. But what he's saying here is like, there are some mixed motives, some motives that are true and some motives that are false that on the reason why people are preaching Christ. And honestly, I don't really care what their motives are. I'm just rejoicing because Jesus is proclaimed. And then in verse 19, we read how he has this, um, this sort of hope that, uh, that he's going to be released, that there's there's something in his spirit that affirms that I'm going to be let go, that this is going to, you know, come out for my good. And then in verse 20, he sort of also says, but I don't know the future. And look what he says here in the second half of verse 20. Here's what he does know, that Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So in essence, what Paul is saying here. I have a sense that I'm going to be set free and things are going to be fine. But if, if my death is certain that I'm actually not going to get out of prison, I'm, I'm going to be executed. So whether I'm able to be with you guys in my physical body and someday get to see you all here shortly and be let free from prison, or I get executed, no matter what happens here, Christ is going to be honored in my body whether by my life, my physical life being saved, or by death. And then in verse 21, what we see Paul doing here is explaining why he said that in verse 20. And here's what he said, this one little phrase, so powerful. For me, or for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, this is Paul speaking, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's just take a few minutes here and, and work this phrase backwards, all right? Let's start at the end and work to the beginning. So at the end, he says, to die is gain. Death is either one of two things. It's either unimaginable gain or indescribable loss. I'll say that again. Death is one of two things. It's either unimaginable gain or it's indescribable 
loss. And here, Paul unmistakably describes his death when it comes. He doesn't know when it's going to come. It is great gain for him. And in fact, if you remembered in verse 23, he says, if I had a choice, I would rather die. That's what he says here. Look, at, look what he says in verse 23. I'm torn between the two. Well, what two? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, the context says between living and dying. I'm torn between these two. I desire, here's my longing, to depart, translation, to die, and be with Christ, which is better by far. So in essence, what Paul is saying here is like, I would rather choose death. And so, so hear me. Paul is not meaning that he is so down, so depressed, that he feels so helpless, that he has been kind of pushed to such extremes in life that he's pondering killing himself. That's not what Paul's saying here. Or, or is he trying to deliberately have a, a martyrdom, you know, be killed for, you know, his faith in Jesus Christ or try to make that necessarily happen? No, he's not expressing sort of this dissatisfaction with life because he's in prison, which is pretty stinky, nor is he expressing being done with hardship and difficulty in life that he wants out. He's not saying that death is gain because it is an escape. Are you, are you following me? So that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that death is gain because it's an escape to get me out of my miserable situation. No, he says death is gain because of his aim in life makes death gain. And so what is it that Paul aims at in life? Well, that's the next phrase. We're working backwards. So it says this, to live is Christ. If you have ever read any of the New Testament letters that Paul has written, I mean, he doesn't have to necessarily even write this. You would come up with this on your own. You would see that if there's one thing that Paul's life has always been about, it has always been about Christ. He says this over and over in different ways. In Galatians, he says, my life is now hidden with Christ. In the book of Colossians, he says, Christ, who is my life. In the book of Galatians, again, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul had this single-mindedness, this, this undivided heart here. Paul is defining what life is about in this short little phrase, and Paul lived this out. So if Paul is executed, so follow Paul's thinking here. So if Paul is executed, if he's not released from prison, this just means that the goal of living for Paul has been reached that he will finally and fully gain Christ. That's why Paul is able to look at death, his impending death that's probably most likely coming, coming quicker than he thinks it does, and look at it and use a word that carries this idea of profit. I don't know, I mean, just, I don't think about death as profit. I don't think about death as gain. But Paul is able to describe death in this way because it is the ultimate gaining of his lifelong passion, and that lifelong passion is Jesus. And so follow my point and follow primarily Paul's point. 
This phrase that death is gain, that death is profit, is only true when we embody and live out the middle phrase, to live is Christ. When we take this phrase off of our coffee mugs and off of our tweeting or whatever you want to call it, and we begin to embody this, live in reality, that life is about Christ, then death will be gain. It will be profit because you will gain what you've been pursuing after all of your life. One author says it like this to kind of put this in a, a way that Paul would have said it here in a different way, but he says this, if you, speaking, Paul saying this, if you let me live, guess what? You'll get more of Jesus. If you kill me, then I'll get more of Jesus. So in light of this, this well-known phrase that Paul's given to us, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want to, like, remind us of what we know is true, all right? But you're going to die. Every single one of us. It's a guarantee we will not escape death. And so death, there's only two options here. There's not a third option. There's not a middle road here. Death will be unimaginable gain or it'll be indescribable loss. And so the answer then is not, hey man, I need to make sure I live my life in such a way that it counts because it's my only one. I'm not saying that there's not some truth in that, but I would say that the answer is not that. The answer is I want to make sure that my life is about what will make death gain. So the, so the answer to this, I'm gonna die, and so either it's gonna be you know, unimaginable game or indescribable loss, and I've got to figure out what, you know, make my life count because I only got one. No, no. Figure out what life is to be about so that when you die, you gain. You don't lose. But here I say, and I would encourage you, here lies the difficulty. When it comes to death, there's only two options. When it comes to living, there seems to be multiple. And there seems to be more valid multiple options of how I can live. David Brooks, and I know I've talked about him quite a bit over the last uh, two months. I, I've just been in and out of his book, Two Mountains, quite a bit, and rethinking a lot of what he has to say there. But in his book, he talks about um, this time of year, you know, where uh, in the months of May, you know, you've got all these commencement addresses that are going on, these graduation ceremonies. I mean, obviously, this year is a little bit different with, the, with all the, uh, the pandemic and stuff, and a lot of that happened more virtually and online, but still there was some element of some kind of commencement dress. And he makes the point that usually in these speeches, which I would agree to this, Maybe not the case for all of them, but usually in these speeches, it's, it's kind of a, um, the, the older generation sort of um, passing along their values to the younger generation. And these values um, can also be kind of lived out values where um, this becomes kind of what life is about. And so he mentions a handful. Uh, I, 
I'm just going to pull out three that I feel like are really pertinent here. And so what, 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 the, what most people will do then is they, they kind of offer these values to make your life about these as, like, as a big present. That's what I got here, nice big present. And so uh, instead of just doing three different presents, I just did one and put words on each one. And so uh, like one of the values that your life can be about is it's, it's about freedom, right? You know, freedom leads to happiness. We're not going to, you know, impose anything on you and tell you what to do. You go and enjoy your freedom. Uh, another one would be like, you know, can be defined as like possibility. Like your, your future is bright. It is limitless. You can do anything. Set your mind to it. The journey is the destination. Take risk. Be audacious. Dream big. That can kind of like fall on this idea and this value of a possibility. Another one. Uh, then it's also like authenticity, which is a pretty huge buzzword within our culture and with even church community. And, and this would be more of like, you know, a value to kind of live by where you look inside yourself, you find your, your sort of inner passion, you're, you know, you're amazing, awaken the giant within and live according to your own story. You do you would be kind of the mantra of that. But here's the reality. And what I, I would say that, it, man, if you're, if you're an adult listening to this, and I think you would resonate with this, and if you're not, not that our 18-year-olds are not adults, please hear me, like older adults, how about that, in your 40s, 50s, 30s, whatever, doesn't really with anybody, but if you, if you set out to live out one of these values here, I think what usually happens is when you unwrap this big old present, and maybe it's unwrapped the, the idea of freedom, or you unwrap the idea of possibility, what comes to be is this, as they turn into being a big old empty box. Because if you live for freedom, most students have put down that empty box because we're drowning in freedom with absolutely no direction. If you go after the this value of possibility that your future's bright, that it's limitless, it doesn't help either. And the reason why it doesn't help is if you don't know what your life is to, is to be about and for, how does it help to be told that your future is limitless, right? Once again, it's another big empty box. If you go after the value and say, my life's going to be about authentic, authentic, authenticity, look inside yourself, you be you, the problem with that and it shows up empty again is because the you we tell them to consult for life's answers is the very thing that hasn't yet formed. You follow me? I mean, I'm a 50-year-old man, and there have been several times over the course of this year where I've asked this, this question, who in the world am I? I mean, I'm, I'm even having trouble defining the you, right? And then we're looking at 18 20, 21-year-olds and 22-year-olds that go, hey, you go you. Go be you. We don't, they don't even know who they are yet. A bunch of empty boxes were left with nothing. One writer says it like this. The quote should be on the screen here. Our graduates are in limbo, and we, meaning Adults, our society, the culture at large, give them uncertainty. 
They want to know why they should do this as opposed to that, and we have nothing to say except figure it out yourself based on no criteria outside yourself. They are floundering in a formless desert. Not only do we not give them a compass, we take a bucket of sand and we throw it all over their heads. Look, here's what I believe Paul is saying. He's like, I want to give you, graduate, I want to give you, 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, I want to give you a compass. This is what your life is to be about. It is to be about Jesus. That's why Paul can be in change in, in horrible circumstances here and still rejoice because the aim and the hope of his life, Jesus Christ, is still going out. That's why Paul can hear critique and realize that, wow, it isn't about my own self-preservation. I can rejoice even when people are preaching the gospel out of unpure motives and digging at me and misrepresenting me because my hope, my joy, what my life has been, has been about is still being preached, is still going out. That's why Paul can look at his impending death, his impending execution, and look at this, look at death, and go gain, profit, because I gain what my life's aim is, and his name is Jesus. You want a compass? You want to know what your life is to be about? You want to you want to go and run hard after something that won't show up to be empty and pointless? You want to find meaning and purpose and direction in your life? If you want to find a community of people that you can run with that will love you and care for you and be patient with you? You want to experience freedom that doesn't lead to enslavement but actually leads to more of your flourishing? Then make your life about Jesus. To live is Christ. And then therefore, to die is gain. What if, what if Jesus really meant what he said? What good is it for a man or a woman to gain the whole world but lose her soul? What if Jesus really meant when he told Martha that you're concerned about many things, but there's only one thing that is absolutely necessary. To live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't mean we don't have other passions. It doesn't mean that we don't have other loves and enjoyments and, you know, things that we, you know, commit to, you know, that, that's not what I'm saying here. It just means that all of these cannot be ultimate. They cannot be our ultimate aim. They can't be what defines us. They can't be what gives us direction. They can't be what gives us meaning in life. They have to serve a greater aim, and that greater aim is Jesus. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. So, as we end here, like, 
how do you do this? Like, what does this look like? You know, I think that's the question I've been pondering all week, honestly. Like, how does this, uh, this little phrase that if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard a million times, how does it get off of just being a slogan or a, you know, uh, a soundbite, so to speak, and really become a part of my life? Like, that's truly how I live. Well, I think in the coming weeks as we work through the book of Philippians, I think Paul is going to flesh this out. Part of what Paul will do in the book of Philippians is basically say this, and this may sound really arrogant, but it's not. It's not coming from a place of arrogance. He's saying, look, I want you to follow me. I want you to imitate me. Part of our formation and becoming more and more like who we're supposed to be in Christ is that we see other people living it and we want to imitate their life as they are imitating Christ. And so in essence, what Paul will continue to do in the book of Philippians is to put flesh on this phrase to live as Christ. So what does that look like? Well, I'm going to show you. This is what it looks like. But for our purposes, here's, here's two quickly. One, it begins like this. It starts with surrender. I mean, that's where, where it began for Paul, and so that's where it begins for all of us. To live as Christ is to surrender, to be done, calling the shots, deciding your way, deciding what you do or not do, where you go, where you don't go. No, you, you surrender. And, and just like we've said over the a couple weeks ago, surrendering is a one-time event that happens in our life when we fully give our lives to Jesus. But here's the reality. It's, a, it's an ongoing practice in our lives. It isn't like that one-time event, you're done and Jesus is the Lord of everything. No, not even close. But it does start there. To live as Christ, it starts with surrender. Right here. And then secondly, ownership. I love what Paul says there right at the beginning. He said, for to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And Paul's not saying, hey, this is my truth. You do your own deal. No, no, he's not saying that. He is saying this is my truth, but he's also making a statement about what is true. He's saying this is what life is to be about, is to be about Christ. And if you want to live for something where you're not going to have loss at the end of the day, then live for Christ. And this is what I'm living for. For to me, to live is Christ. And I'm inviting you to imitate me and own this as a part of your life. So there's a slide coming up on the screen. And it's got two blanks. And these two blanks are to live is blank, and to die is blank. And all of us, whether we realize it or not, have answers for those blanks. All of us do. And I'm putting before you that the only two words you can put into the last blank is loss or gain. That's it. And depending on what you put in that first blank will determine whether it's loss or gain. And here's what I'm asking you to do. In, in light of owning this, I'm asking all of us, specifically high school seniors, graduates, thank God for you. Spend some time this week and fill those two blanks in. And this is what I'm encouraging you to do. What are you living for right now? 
Not 10 years from now, not a year from now. Feel those blanks and right now, what is my life about? What is it really about? What am I really after? And like, guys, look, you know, hopefully you've been with us long enough that we're kind of done with the, the Christian, you know, uh, bobbleheading and like where everything's wonderful. We're going to put down the Jesus answer. No, we, like the gospel of Jesus frees us from hiding so that we can honestly fill in this blank. Like, do a real self-examination of your own life and say, what is my life really about as an 18-year-old? And if you don't know, then go ask some really close friends of yours. If you examine my life over this last year, then what would you say? One word, what would you say my life is about? Then depending on how you fill in that first blank, then go find someone that's about 20 years ahead of you and ask them to help you fill in the second blank. If I make my life about this, then where is it going to take me? Jesus, through Paul, is inviting and providing for you a way of living that leads to life now and gain when you die. Own this for yourself. Take some time this week to sit down and say, okay, what am I living for? Jesus is giving us an aim for living that will not disappoint. It will not leave you with an empty box. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.